to me, there's kind of a bittersweet lost worldness to it. I feel like it's the way people maybe used to feel when they were like, in my day, we got ice from the Iceman and they cut it out of lakes. <laughs> About the show where we talk about great moments in daytime TV history. <laughs> <laughs> With me today is Willa Paskin from Decoder Ring. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here with us. I love your show so much, and it's become a thing with my friends lately. I've been listening to just a bunch of episodes in celebration of your coming here because you're not going to quiz me on them. And so it's become a joke where I'm like, I listened to a decodering the other day about how music used to be made or something. That's a good one. And they're like, do you listen to any other shows? And it's like, not right now. <laughs> I have to say, I'm sure that people tell you this joke a lot, but I have this fantasy that one day you'll be like, today on decodering, North Dakota, what is it? <laughs> Should I do that? I would do that. I feel like that would be a good April Fool's because sometimes... <laughs> I like to think that you're also saying Dakota Ring. I do say Dakota Ring. I have a problem with it, actually. Like, I I notice it especially when I do ads because it's when I say the name the most. And I think it's my mm-hmm. New York accent. It's very hard to say decoder ring. Ring, right. So I just say Dakota Ring. It's like in The Princess Bride where he has to be like, you will not find her common now. <laughs> <Exactly>. Decoder <laughs> ring. You have to just be a prince to do it. Yeah, I try. I try to really enunciate. I feel like our podcasts they want to be holding hands and i feel like anyone who's uh, you're wrong about listener if you haven't listened to the decoder ring catalog there's just like a whole new theme park for you to discover i'm really mixing metaphors either theme parks that hold hands but are there episodes that you would recommend people start with my favorite episodes are like all the secretly like do you know the, the podcast heavyweight oh yeah i love heavyweight right so they're like all sort of like the secret like psychological therapy drama ones <laughs> like there's like a major character and I get to like be like what's up with your feelings so I really like those yeah. so, so I think like on this theme the sad Jen episode which is which is about the question of why are Brad Pitt and Jennifer Addison still getting married on the cover of tabloids very apropos and I is as one that mm-hmm. I really like we did this one about Chuck E. Cheese which I had never been to in my life but is like pretty good like it's a pretty good story Chuck E. Cheese turns out to be pretty crazy that was the first one I listened to I love that one yeah people really like that one we did this one called the mystery of the mullet which is about the word for the mullet and where it comes Mm -hmm. from and that one's like start to finish like got a real arc (laughs) that was like a proper mystery we sort of pretend that they're all about mysteries but they're not my two favorite are this one I did called the sign painter which is about um this artist that i've known my whole life and that one's just like very emo but i think it's really good Mm -hmm. and then also um we did one about the jane fonda workout that ended up also being really emo because it's about jane fonda's relationship to the woman who actually made the workout whose name is lenny kasdan and Mm. so we did two about jane fonda but the first jane fonda one is good stuff i think i would love to recommend the uh is it called getting down on friday yeah yeah that's a good one yeah that one's amazing and that's you know that's such a maligned teen story and i mean you do a bunch of different eras but i love the way that you look at how has our recent media landscape changed how far in away in history is even 10 years ago yeah thank you That's nice. (laughs) I do think of our shows as being like thematically connected all the time. Totally. What are you going to tell me about today? What kind of ride are we going to go on? We're talking about the time that Tom Cruise jumped on Oprah Winfrey's couch. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can we start with me attempting to guess what year this happened? Yeah, please. Let's do that. Was it 2005? Nailed it. Damn. If only I could keep track of the present like that. One of the really funny things about this for me is that I know it was huge. I saw people talking about it for weeks. I feel like I was fairly engaged with it. And I never saw video of it at the time. I think because 2005 was the year YouTube started, right? So that was kind of the last moment when you could hear about something endlessly without actually witnessing it. That's exactly right. It happens in May of 2005. Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise is going on the Oprah Winfrey show ostensibly to promote this large movie he is making with Steven Spielberg, an adaptation of War of the Worlds. But he's like a month into having this brand new, much younger girlfriend, Katie Holmes, who's known mostly for being on Dawson's Creek, but is also about to appear in Batman Begins. Mm. And it happens on Oprah. But right, like unless you watched Oprah that day, like you weren't going to find the whole episode. Some people had Mm. TiVos, but it's not like DVRs were everywhere. It's not like Oprah Winfrey is like putting the episode online. And Mm -hmm. there have been some viral videos. But as you said, YouTube just started like to the point that in February to the point that people don't even like know they can use it to house their videos. So we have this really clear memory, I think, of it. You don't even have to have like seen it to have a memory of it. Like there's a very clear and distinct cultural memory of this moment and like what it signifies. And what it signifies is like it's the moment Tom Cruise jumped up and down on a couch, which he actually didn't do. We'll get into But like he jumped up and down on a couch, (laughs) sort of like ripped his mask off like Mission Impossible style and just like revealed (laughs) himself to be like a stone cold freak is on. Like think that's like what we sort of (laughs) understand it as. And if you actually go like watch the Oprah episode, it's not that it's not that it's not like a fully a false memory, but it's definitely like an Mm -hmm. incomplete memory of what happened. And I think Mm -hmm. if you watch it now, you're like, it's not clear to me that would be the takeaway. It's about Tom Cruise, but it's also sort of just much more largely about like this really changey time about celebrity and Mm. technology and like media and culture. And he almost gets like caught in the crossfire of all these changes. And like we laid him out for it. And we will talk about, I hope, like how it's sort of Tom Cruise is like, you know, no one has to feel bad for Tom Cruise. He's sort of like this vestigial celebrity Mm -hmm. you don't have to feel bad for. But like it is like slightly more complicated than just like him being a total weirdo. Right. Regardless of whatever Tom Cruise needs from the world, I feel like it's better for us if we can sort of examine why we thought we saw what we thought we saw. But my interaction with it was that there were still images and probably like a couple of iconic frames that were going around. And then it's like your brain fills it in and you feel like you've seen the actual motion. I definitely hadn't seen the episode. I'm not even sure I saw like the viral cut down until I was researching this. But in my mind, Mm -hmm. I can see him. I can see him jumping up and down on a couch and it didn't happen. Like he jumps onto it and then he jumps off. Mm -hmm. He literally doesn't do the (laughs) jumping motion. Right. And it's just a different vibe. It's like this kid I'm babysitting is really wired as opposed to guy gets animated on daytime talk show. Totally. Okay. This is like peak apex Oprah. Mm. It is the acme of Oprah-dom and like the Oprah show. So just in September of 2004, so less than a year before, it was like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Like, oh, wow. It's that Oprah. I do remember this, the like Oprah can do no wrong phase. Totally. The audience is all women. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's literally one man. Tom Cruise sees him at some point. It's like, there's a man here. But it's like all women. <laughs> and they have been pre-selected because they are obsessed with Tom Cruise. Oh, boy. The energy level at the show is like concert fainting level. Mm. Oh, wow. Oprah, too. I don't know if she's just matching the energy of the audience, but she's like, it's Tom Cruise. And they're so intimate. Yeah. They have to calm themselves. I'm Oprah. 
cute. Y'all have overwhelmed me. How cute is that? What is this? It's electrifying. Calm yourselves. He comes on on stage and he's sort of overwhelmed by how loud the crowd is. Wow. And his hair gets messed up. Like they and they embrace for like a long time. And then she like fixes yeah. his hair. There's like all show. There's just like a lot of touching, collegial. You know, like warm. But like he definitely thinks he's in a safe space. Yeah. Honestly, this is so cute. I'm like Tom Cruise <laughs> is so dreamy. Yeah. It's such an intense sound. It's like when you're like right by the ocean and it's like crashing and roaring. Everyone is couldn't be more amped to be there and Mm -hmm. he's ostensibly there to promote war of the world but he's just sort of had this announcement of this new relationship and so that's basically all they talk about Hmm. at oprah's insistence you know like oprah's so good at wearing both hats yeah she can relate to the famous person as a famous person but then she's like but i gotta put on my regular person hat and just i have to ask you what the people want to know and she just does that where she's like we're not getting off this subject Mm -hmm. and she's like we've never seen you like this and she just sort of elicits a lot of he's in love from him Mm -hmm. and to this enthusiasm he adds a number of like very large physical gestures (laughs) There's like four very, very grandiose physical gestures that he repeats throughout. So like one is raising his hands in the air. The most like cringy to me is like he gets down on one knee and like fist pumps wildly, like almost like knocks on the floor (laughs) and is like, and he does it like every time he's like, can't believe his luck about how finding like this amazing woman. Hmm. He also regularly like grabs Oprah's hands and like shakes them. They shake them together. Like, (laughs) like some sort of like really awkward, like high five that's gone on. Like, you know, like you give someone a high five and then like you hold their hands and you don't let go. Mm-hmm. He does that a lot. And then the fourth thing, which he does twice, he sort of very acrobatically from sitting on a couch, jumps to standing on the couch, just like in one move mm-hmm. and then hops off. Like it, it actually would be hard for me to do that. Right. Now I feel sad for Tom Cruise. You know, not too sad. <laughs> it's not going to get better. You're going to feel sad for him the whole time. <laughs> I, for a long time, like didn't watch the Mission Impossible movies as they were coming out. And then I made friends with someone who's like a Mission Impossible super fan. And then we watched a bunch of them and I saw them through his eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, Tom Cruise is so delightful as a movie star, partly because he's like, I will run full tilt through the streets of Paris trying to outrun a motorcycle or whatever that he's just obsessed with physical stunts and so I feel like what a bummer to do a great stunt and then have it passed off is it's like he's out of control and I imagine it being like I was totally in control I'm like a gymnast you guys totally no like he knows he's performing but he definitely feels safe to like be ridiculous right the expectation at the time would have been like you saw the show or you didn't You were either watching Oprah at like three o'clock on whatever weekday Mm -hmm. that was. Or you had soccer practice that day. (laughs) And so it goes up. But the next day, someone does like a cut down Mm. of only the parts where he's doing like these huge physical gestures Mm. and it starts to go everywhere. And then it was really fast for the time. But basically, like Mm -hmm. that cut down comes up that day. There's like images of it, I think, on Defamer. And then Mm. a week later, someone does this viral video where it's called Tom Cruise Kills Oprah, where like he has like electric (laughs) bolts like coming out of his hands while he's doing that like over long hand gesture, like where they're holding hands and holding her shoulders. Mm. And that's Mm -hmm. like a week later. And then it ends up on the news then. And then like the New York Times and the L.A. Times, like Frank Rich, like they're writing serious articles about it, like Hmm. in the middle of June. Wow. It just has these weird long legs and ends up like totally destabilizing his career and transforming it and changing it. Yeah. Do you have like a first Tom Cruise movie? Oh, boy. I think it probably was the first Mission Impossible. 
the one that came out in, I think, 96. I feel like he is, to me, Mr. Mission Impossible, and that kind of expresses whatever I happen to believe about his core being, which is that he's like a very smooth, very determined guy who just wants to like do everything as hard as possible. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes. So film critic and um, she has a podcast now, Amy Nicholson wrote this really great piece for LA Weekly sort of about the couch jump, but it was about mm. Tom Cruise's career. And I think like we mm. have this sense of him as being like an action star who's like this sort of yeah. quintessentially like cocky cocksure clean cut american type he's got like the like crooked grin he's maverick and yeah totally (laughs) that's true but her read on his early career is really interesting because basically so Mm. like he gets really famous at 21 for risky business in which he's like in his skivvies and his button-down shirt and his sunglasses, you know, dancing in the... It's hard to remember he was basically a teenager at the time. So he's like this hot young thing and he's like part of this group of young actors that like includes Sean Penn. And instead of doing a lot of press and trying to be in L.A., he goes to London, films that Ridley Scott movie Legend, which is with Sloan oh, from... Yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they're yeah. like elves and it doesn't work out but he's just like not he's not about it and but then in 1986 out comes Top Gun and it's like impossible mm. for him to not be super famous anymore but mm. Paramount immediately like asks him to do Top Gun 2 and he says no and he like goes to work with Martin Scorsese and Paul Newman and makes a color of money and he like he's like I want to work with people who are like really good yeah. and he goes and like it's sort of second fiddle to Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man and I mean Cocktail he makes at this point which doesn't fit in with the quality although I love it his romantic comedy with Elizabeth Shue. Mm-hmm. I turned out I only really love like terrible Tom Cruise movies. And he does Born on the Fourth of July. You know, we think of him as like action hero guy, but none of those mm-hmm. are really action movies. Right. He's pretty quiet about his personal life. So like in 1987, mm-hmm. he marries Mimi Rogers, who's like six years older than him. And she's the person who introduces him to Scientology. Mm-hmm. In 1990, he gets divorced and he also renounces Catholicism and is like, I'm going to be a Scientologist. And also sort of famously meets Nicole Kidman on mm-hmm. Days of Thunder, another bad movie that I have a soft spots for. <laughs> and they then make Far and Away the bad movie that I love the most. Have you seen Far and Away? It lives in a part of my memory where the movies you saw when you were too young to really make sense of them live. And I remember specifically the part where she's like, she's rich, she's poor. They both leave Ireland for America or something like that. Is you that got it? it. Okay. You got it. And then she's like trying to wash something and he's like, you're washing that too soft. You have to scrub it. <laughs> Like on a washboard. The 90s, like apex functional Tom Cruise, right? Like he does this movie, these two movies don't work. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to do A Few Good Men. He does The Firm, right? Like Mm -hmm. he does Jerry Maguire. He starts doing Mission Impossible. Like he's just kind of cruising in between that. He does Interview with a Vampire, which people are like really mean about whether or not he can do it. And if he can play like a sexy. Whatever. He was great in that movie. He's up to stuff. He and Nicole Kidman are sort of very power couple And then it kind mm-hmm. of, at the end of the 90s, gets a little wobbly. <laughs> he, so he does Magnolia, which is like when he grows his hair out. And that's also oh, yeah. when I decided he was cute. Like, I really remember him showing up in some premiere or like Us Weekly before it was a tabloid as a teen and being like, who is that? Gen- that's Tom Cruise. <laughs> you finally feel the tingle. I think he's amazing in Magnolia. And I think... I want to see him do more stuff like that. That's not really relevant here. I just want it. Well, it is actually. It's going to be relevant. Oh, okay, great. We're going to call it back. (laughs) So, but the other thing that's happening is that he makes, he and Nicole Kidman go to work with Stanley Kubrick making Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. And Nicole Kidman was just on Fresh Air like two weeks ago, last, a couple weeks ago. Ended up talking to Terry Gross about Eyes Wide Shut. And basically like they're supposed to be there for six months. They're there for 18 months. They're just like living in this, they're making this, you know, Eyes Wide Shut is sort of this erotic 
drama about this married couple playing sort of sex games when they're in the UK for this incredible amount of time, the UK is like totally different libel laws than America where like you have to, Mm. the person suing has the burden of proof, not the person who printed the thing that may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. So basically you can just get away with saying a lot more stuff, Mm. but Tom Cruise goes ahead and sues a British tabloid as successfully in 1998, the express and he wins. Mm -hmm. But what he's suing them for is this rumor that his marriage is a sham because he's, gay and Nicole Kidman is a beard and they have sex coaches they have to be taught how to have sex like when you think about who the male famous actors of the 80s and 90s who like there haven't been rumors that they were gay yeah there's very few like that's such a good point especially Richard Gere and the gerbil rumor like I don't know how that got attached to him yeah it was just a pastime we just had to do that as a country there's always been this verbal and this rumor is like at a sort of high pitch Hmm. that Tom Cruise might be gay, that he's closeted essentially at the moment that he then sort of very abruptly gets divorced. I mean, this is all so speculative, but I remember very distinctly at the time there was like, you know, California alimony laws change after 10 years and like Hmm. the divorce happened like right then. So there's all this theorizing that they had like a deal. She was a really young actress, obviously like Hmm. Scientology, Tom Cruise credits with really helping him with dyslexia is sort of also infamously, rumored and thought not even rumored, like thought to be sort of de-gaze people like that's a thing mm-hmm. that they do they have adopt mm-hmm. to adopted children like there's just this whole mess of like totally alleged suspicion and rumor about his sexual orientation yeah so he gets divorced it's like pretty abrupt and messy and immediately starts dating his co-star from vanilla sky penelope cruz like sort of quietly and they date for a couple years and so then by 2004 like they've broken up and he doesn't have a girlfriend, seemingly, then seems from the publics to go out and get another one. (laughs) He basically shows up in April of 2005 with Katie Holmes in Rome. And at the time, the tabloids like people.com runs this online survey that's like, is the relationship a true romance or a publicity stunt? And like 62% (laughs) of responses say it's a publicity stunt. And obviously, like this is totally bogus. But the point is just that this is how like everyone's kind of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Star magazine tabloid like runs a, a headline that's like, could this be true like us weekly is also doing like surveys i used to intern at us weekly and i would make those surveys up because it was so excruciating to go up to people in Times square and ask them questions like this so i'm not saying it's true but it's just like how many people were you supposed to talk to i was just a hundred and i would totally do what you said i would ask 10 and just like extrapolate the numbers out i know that because i guess listen to you describe that <laughs> on your sad jennifer aniston episode which i love because that's such a mystery of our time this is really connected i mean we're gonna get into yeah. this what's happening in the tabloids at this moment but basically like everyone is just like extremely extremely skeptical that f- whether they should be or not like there's just a lot of cynicism that this is like he needed to like check a box mm. and he did Throughout this, he's had this really powerful publicist Mm. named Pat Kingsley, who also represented Sandra Bullock and Al Pacino and Meg Ryan. They start working together in the 90s and she's like making people sign non-disclosure. If you do a print interview with him, she makes you sign something saying you're not going to sell it to the tabloids. Mm -hmm. She makes TV journalists delete or destroy the tape after they air. And also the media ecosystem is like smaller and contained, right? It's like there's less outlets. Mm -hmm. Also in the early 2000s, he fires her Hmm. and hires his sister. Oh, Tom. No. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Also, as it does seem like Scientology is becoming increasingly important to him, like Scientology has long been supposed to be a factor in his divorce with Nicole Kidman. And he's sort of like insisted there's a Scientology tent 
on the War of the World set. And sort of after this Oprah thing, he will go on to do some also sort of infamous interviews with Matt Lauer, where he like goes after the history oh, of psychiatry yeah. and Brooke Shields. Like it just seems like Scientology is like becoming more central to him. That's right. He had a dust up with Brooke Shields. Yeah, that doesn't make you more sympathetic. <laughs> That's the worst part. The mood about like celebrities mm-hmm. in 2005 is like really not the mood about celebrities right now. Mm -hmm. So the things that are happening that I think are germane to the mood. Mm -hmm. The first is reality television. Mm -hmm. We obviously had reality television for a long time, like the real world, yada, yada. But basically in 2000, Survivor, the first season starts and America falls in love with reality TV in a consistent way. And it'll take a couple years for like the machine of minting Mm. semi-famous people from reality shows will really kick in (laughs) but everyone is really like enamored with this new way of existing in public or in fiction so Mm. like just for example after this oprah incident a columnist for the la times writes this piece about now celebrities are all like existing in this reality tv zone where like they can make their own reality tv show like without being on tv like literally just what Mm. we all live and inhabit every single minute of the day with all social media but it seems like an interesting insight into like a new way of being famous where you're sort of letting people in on the back scene behind the scenes but you're also not it's just a new way of thinking about how famous people can inhabit space and time like around us they could be like kind of performing but also being real at the same time I feel like it's really hard to get back to a time when we didn't have direct access to celebrities and their thoughts through social media like in 2005 you would be like what's David Caruso doing today and you just wouldn't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, David Caruso I think one of the things that is happening with Tom Cruise, it seems like he's aware in this moment of the changes that are happening around him and that people want a different kind of access to celebrities, Hmm. like a more authentic, unfettered. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, I've been so uptight. I have not talked about my personal life. I've been so like on the ball. And hey, it's like a new age. Maybe people want to see like my real feelings, you know, like there's some point in the Oprah interview. He's like, I can't be cool. Like, you know, when you feel like this, you just got to tell people he's sort of reaching for this new authenticity, but he's just like very bad at it. Or just like, it just comes across as like totally inauthentic. Mm -hmm. But I think that that is the context. We have all these new ways of reaching audiences. Maybe I should do something with that. Mm -hmm. As we all know, like being on reality TV person is difficult. Yeah. And he's such an old fashioned movie star that to watch him try to transition to that. It's like, having the champion penny farthing rider try and ride a bike with two wheels of the same size it's just it's like oh you're very good at the other thing just what if he did that no that's i think that's exactly right but he's like there's this new bicycle we should give that a shot this penny farthing's not gonna go anywhere and so then the other thing that's happening the explosion of the tabloids Mm. in 2001 bonnie fuller takes over us weekly and sort of inaugurates like a more pugnacious slightly Mm. dismissive relationship to celebrities where like her famous invention is like stars are just like us Mm. where you see people pumping their gas and wearing uggs and doesn't mean that you're not like super obsessed and interested in celebrities but you're not super obsessed and interested in like a hagiographic way anymore right you don't want to read what the studios are putting out about Cary Grant you want the dirt Mm -hmm. you know you want to see Cary Grant coming out of someone's house in the middle (laughs) like in the morning leaving his LSD dealer's house (laughs) yeah totally so there's Us Weekly which metastasizes very quickly into a number of other tabloids including Star and other stuff but then there's also this explosion in blogs like in 2005 Mm. the number of blogs go from 10 million to 25 million and one of those is Perez Hilton Mm -hmm. you know becomes a hugely hugely successful celebrity blogger by literally drawing 
dicks on celebrities' faces. It feels relevant that we needed maybe, I mean, we still behave absolutely shamefully with regards to everyone in the media. So it's not like we're living in this age of enlightenment. But I feel as if at that time it felt so exciting and in a way necessary to be able to like try and bring celebrities down to the level of normal people. I feel like we were gleeful at the fact that we could prod their humanity in a way that we really couldn't before. I think also just like Tom Cruise is like an A-lister. Yeah. There are some of those people left, but that's like really not the celebrity ecology. No. The celebrity ecology is full of who's and people that we know, you know, maybe really famous people, but people who it's not that they got famous, like on a movie screen being like gorgeous and 20 feet tall or whatever. Right. Especially with like that kind of famous person. There's like a lot of pleasure making them a little more life size. Right. This is also, I would say like really peak tabloid time because the other story that's happening in 2005 is Brangelina, which is like, Mm. there is no bigger story. And similarly, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston, like they're so elevated that there's just like, I think people feel a little more comfortable. You just are punching up. Oh, yeah. Because I remember feeling like it was so amazing that they hadn't collided with each other before. Like they're two, they're like the two people who at the time you would use to signify like the most desirable person imaginable. (laughs) And then you were like, oh, I've never seen them next to each other before. How is that? How have they not been drawn (laughs) together like magnets? You're just like a famous person. You're just like, yep, now I will call that person's agent or like call their manager because we're all in the famous club. It's like fine. Like you don't have to be introduced. You know, you're like, right. We already know each other. And I guess now they have an app or something. But (laughs) I definitely had my share of judgmentalness at the time, but I also remember being very enchanted by the fact that I think Katie Holmes had like at least said that she had a poster of Tom Cruise on her wall as a teen or a tween. She had told Seventeen magazine she wanted to marry him. Right. And I was like, so you're telling me there is hope for me and whoever I had a crush on in 2005. It has to be too embarrassing to say. <laughs> but doesn't <laughs> I, that... I find it so creepy. Is there nothing so creepy about that, too? Yeah. Now that I'm an adult, it is also creepy. <laughs> there's movies like uh, Win a Date with Tad Hamilton or whatever. I think there's like where this is a premise of like right. being with your high school misery (laughs) (laughs) in a different direction but yeah yeah, totally but there's something like weird about it right like to have an experience of someone's like fame and then to actually know them don't you think the experience of their fame is still distorting especially when it's someone like tom cruise i don't know i'm sure the levels of power are really interesting there yeah if you grow up watching someone and then are in a relationship with them, I feel like the version that existed in your head might sort of take precedence for a long time until you're able to look up and be like, wait, this guy, I don't know about this guy. (laughs) Totally. It's like when you move into a new place and you have all these ideas about how you're going to decorate it and then earn what your life will be like. And then a year later, it's completely different. And hopefully you really like what you did. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. As opposed to now, there's like a lot of reveling in being mean to celebrities, like being cynical about them. And and Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are one half. But then we also have like the Paris, Britney, Lindsay Lohan stuff that's slow motion disaster stuff like burbling underneath. We're sort of not feeling that generous, I would say. Yeah, there's like a bumper crop of cruelty. And yeah, and I feel like we're kind of fending off 
at the time, I feel like people were very stressed about the idea that you could be famous for being famous. Yes. Oh, my God. And maybe now we agree that that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that was all people were like, they didn't do any Paris Hilton. Right. There's like a real anxiety. Like, what is they, What are they famous for? I mean, I think it's very clear. Like, for example, Kim Kardashian is a very good at the thing that she's doing. Right. It's very difficult to be a reality star. She's working all the time. It's very funny in retrospect that at the time we were like, obviously the correct model is that you act or sing or something and then have your life destroyed by celebrity. And I feel like from where we are now and in the ecosystem we have, I feel like it makes total sense to be like, no, wouldn't it be nice if there were people who were just like, I want to be a celebrity. I don't care what kind. And then they got that and then they were like, cool, I'm going to focus all my energy on being a celebrity because that is my job as opposed to like, I just want to act and I have to sign babies now. I do wonder, though, if this is not also the time when fame really started to ruin people's lives. Mm. I mean, obviously, fame is always complicated and it and lots of people have had drug and alcohol and mental health problems that seem totally exacerbated by fame. But Mm -hmm. this is when you can't turn it off. Yeah. You know, like, did you watch Get Back, the Beatles documentary? I didn't watch that. One of the things that's interesting about it is they have this record label in the heart of London that they like just show up to Hmm. or they walk up or they take a taxi. And, you know, there's like Mm -hmm. one or two people standing out like fans, but they just exist in the city and they come to work and there's like just not a gajillion people around just trying Mm -hmm. to take pictures of them. And you're just like, oh, they're the Beatles. They're so famous. But it's not like fame wasn't crazy for them, but just like at a totally different temperature. Mm -hmm. It's just not all the time. Right. And this is what it's changing. This is when being famous means you're famous every minute of the day. So like maybe you should have a different perspective on what fame is and just decide to be famous every minute of the day. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to be an actor or an actress, you are also signing up for being famous every minute of the day. Like there's no, you have to have both. You can't have one or the other. And I sort of think actually before it was a little more less intense. Yeah. So then the other thing that just also makes it more intense is just YouTube. Mm. So it's not that there have been no viral videos. I think a really analogous thing to this actually has nothing to do with celebrities at all, but is the Howard Dean scream. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was a bummer. Can you tell that like story lit? (laughs) So Howard Dean was like the front runner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2004 and he in January of that year like does an event where he again is like in a room full of really excited people who are on his side and he Mm -hmm. lets out a yowl a scream an intense long scream that basically gets plucked out of that interaction and spread all over the internet as just like a sign of him being like totally crazy and like uncool and it does actually appear to totally tank him. And that makes me think of the thing where like musky people thought that he had cried even when that was the 50s or the 60s and that destroyed his campaign. I think the the Dean scream was also made possible by I guess what the media was in the moment that that happened but that maybe We're used to having that level of scrutiny for presidential candidates who are working in any kind of a media age or, you know, like Nixon got sweaty in 1960. But now that you are being so surveilled as a celebrity, maybe is like, I'm sure we've always had these desires, but maybe the technology is allowing us to surveil more people more closely. Totally. And also, I think there's something about literally media literacy. Yeah. So something like the Dean scream 
or the Tom Cruise moment. You are seeing it. You're seeing the video of it. It's not like written to you. Mm -hmm. But at that moment in time, I think like there weren't a hundred journalists that were then like, excuse me, what's the context? Like, who does this serve? (laughs) Like, what is actually, you know, like you don't see Mm -hmm. people doing like a close reading of the whole Oprah episode like two days later. Right. And you would now, you know, Mm -hmm. because we like know not to trust our eyes. Like, even though we also totally trust our eyes, like we're, we're just constantly living in this like duality where we like absolutely believe everything that we see and also know we can't believe everything we see. That's part of why we're mm-hmm. all going crazy. But like, so you'd <laughs> see the thing and have an opinion about it, but you might be like, oh, there's maybe more here. And I think sort of at the dawn of the viral video age, you're like, oh my God, I can see it. Right. This is so unhinged. I mean, the Dean screen and Tom Cruise are really similar in the sense of like telling us this man is too intense. Mm-hmm. This is undecorous. Yeah. And if it's not quite effeminate, it is not masculine instant and calm it's not yeah. what we're expecting from our action heroes or our presidents right so we went with john Kerry, who i don't remember feeling strongly about anything <laughs> exactly no exactly okay so right the thing is that youtube is started but like the first cut down of this which is just like all the crazy parts is not on youtube a future one the sort of viral video of the like electric is on youtube and Tom Cruise and his team and Oprah and her team would never have known that this could possibly happen. Right. Now every famous person and their handlers consider like everything they do might go viral. In fact, they're like hoping that could happen. Mm-hmm. But this was definitely not in the realm of possibility. They're like dodos. <laughs> the thing that get destroys you is the thing you never consider. And like the deal with Oprah is that like maybe it'll be really big that day but then tomorrow she'll make another show and then everyone will talk about that and we'll all move on. Right and moreover like we can have the reasonable expectation that everybody who saw it chose to watch Tom Cruise on Oprah which probably indicates right. that they like like him. Yes. Oprah is like a safe space for famous people to come talk to Oprah and her mm-hmm. adoring audience even as like Perez Hilton is drawing literally like jizz on celebrities faces at the same time and like the tabloids <laughs> are like coining pet names you know they're going to be Tomcat. You know when you think about fan bases like Tom Cruise doesn't have stands because his stands are like the middle-aged women that were in the Oprah audience. Right. All the things that a celebrity would have now, like going into some situation like this are just inchoate and like forming. Yeah. It's like with Twitter now, it's like there's a bunch of people that are really skeptical of Tom Cruise and like suspicious Mm -hmm. of him as there are also these people who love him, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't have much occasion to bump into each other, but they're like about to. So he goes on Oprah. As we've said, it's like very cozy and she fixes his hair and like they hold hands a lot. But this is, I want to play you this thing because this is how it starts. Basically, Oprah had recently just hosted the Legends Ball, which would air on TV a year later, Hmm. was this event where she sort of celebrated 25 black women, including like Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou and Diane Carroll and Rosa Mm -hmm. Parks and um, and Tina Turner, who like has a crush on Tom Cruise and tried to talk to him. And so that's just happened. And Tom and Katie were at this event and he sent flowers, which is what they start talking about. Mm -hmm. And he's so sincerely like it was magical. Like they're just like, he's like really complimenting her. Okay. And then she says this. Hold on. Let me find it for you. What what Oprah did by acknowledging those women. It's a great inspiration. Right? This is so great. Was, you sent me the most beautiful flowers. Thank you. I, it, you know what? I, I don't feel like it was enough. Okay. No. No, Tom, it was. No, it was enough. It wasn't. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was magic. No, was magic. Tom, this is over. I, tur- I turned, gonna, I turned and looked at one point. You were standing in the chair going, yes! <laughs> yes! It was a black tie ball. He was standing in his black tie 
doodah, and it was, you were going, yes! I go, I love that enthusiasm. Oh, he did send some big flowers. He really did. And it says, flowers from Tom. I love that. <laughs> right. Like So in this clip, you're hearing Oprah say she loved how enthusiastic he was. Yeah. And in his enthusiasm, which he expressed by getting on a piece of furniture. Yeah. The whole couch jumping thing is a callback to this. Oh, my God. <laughs> so on the one hand, like he is unhinged. On the other, like he's doing this thing he Oprah has just told him she loved. Yeah. So every time that he she asks him about Katie Holmes and he jumps on the couch, which is twice, he's saying like, I'm so excited about this. Yeah. It's manifest. It's not like subtext. That's what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And throughout, there's all this funny like bits of self-awareness. Hmm. So she starts saying over and over again, like, you're gone. You're gone. Like, And then he says, I'm standing on your couch. That's how gone I am. I mean, that really changes it because then it's like an in-joke between them. Totally. It never occurred to me how like pally they could be. But of course they are. They're both the same degree of famous, basically. It ended up like harming their relationship, understandably. And also she was not that nice about it with him later. Mm. God, it's hard to be Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not quite my takeaway from this. I mean, it is hard being Oprah. Well, yeah. I guess it's like Game of Thrones. It's like if you're going to be Oprah, you have to destroy a lot of what you love to sit in the throne. Yes. But I am really like impressed with this sort of ease and confidence with which she toggles between so blatantly being like, I inhabit exactly the same exalted world as you. Mm -hmm. But I know what people want to hear. And it is my obligation to get it for them. Right. The whole thing is like he's being much more open than he's ever, ever been. Yeah. She refers to this time that that Katie Holmes had said she wanted to marry him when she was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, I'm in the business of making dreams happen. Are you in the business of making dreams happen? (laughs) Oprah. Are you going to ask her to marry you? You know, and Tom's like, I hate to disappoint her. And everyone's like, ah. <laughs> and then and then Oprah's like, no, really. So are you gonna ask her to marry? Whoa. You? And then he's at some point he's like, are we here to promote War of the Worlds? And that's actually when he like reaches over and grabs her by the shoulders and arms. The thing that is a scene of like the viral video of him electrifying her. This is like mm-hmm. Tom Cruise kills Oprah. But that's like literally at the moment where he's like, can we talk about the thing I'm here to talk about? And then you know what Oprah's like? She's like, we cannot talk about it. We're gonna keep talking about Katie Holmes. <laughs> Later he says, you know, he just like he likes to make people happy like his mom and his sister that's what he's a performer and he was like in this mode and you can see it they're loving it oh yeah i think people thought it was so weird and fake but it doesn't really seem fake to me i see that it's too much but it doesn't read as fake does it read as fake to you no and i'm a very credulous person i think but i feel like the read of it that i had secondhand at the time was like this fake movie star is fakely jumping on a couch to sell his fake relationship with this fake lady And I think that there's also an uncharitable read a lot of us have for somebody being like truly in the grip of a strong emotion because it's it's a cynicism that maybe develops if you feel like who could ever actually be that happy. But like regardless of what he's feeling that about or like what's creating this moment for him, he just reminds me of like, you got to start powering down. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yes. He's like powering down is exactly right. Like he's just so high strung, but it is (laughs) makes sense to me as someone just being like, this is part of our strategy. You're going to stop playing everything so close to the chest. Right. People want more access to the famous people and they want to feel more intimately with the famous people they 
no, this is an opportunity to be really romantic. Like this is super on brand. It's romantic. It's big. Like go big. Just do you. Mm-hmm. And then he's Tom Cruise. who's like, I always do my own stunts. And so he's like, I am gonna go big. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> just like a misunderstanding about how to appear sincere and authentic on camera which like he he obviously sort of understands it just reminds me you know like in when people go from being in theater to being in movies you know in theater you really have to play to the back row and then in movies Mm -hmm. everyone's like you have to do so much less the camera will get it there's some like similar like dissonance right he doesn't understand how to play yeah to a viral video crowd it's a new art form it's also so sad where it's like oh tom just be yourself people will love it and then it just became this national shitstorm, and I, I imagine him being like, never again. <laughs> the intensity, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that we're seeing is like, you are such an intense person, and that's probably always been true and probably continues to be true, and you're being super intense about that. And intense is not effortless, right? Intense is not really like cocksure and cocky. Intense is like, it can be. Mm. This is how you are famous in Hollywood for 40 years. Like, you're just very controlling and intense (laughs) you know he's not the guy who you cast in mission impossible because he's gonna like jog at a safe pace (laughs) around Prague or whatever (laughs) and then he's like approaching love that way i mean the public doubting a story that they're being told about a celebrity romance makes total sense because we've been lied to so many times it makes sense that we're all suspicious of the whole thing But this came up in the Tammy Faye Baker re-release, and I've been kind of thinking about it since, that like real emotion makes us very suspicious as viewers. And I'm thinking of like also, you know, very famous meme before there was a meme moment in terms of, you know, it would like show up parodied on Seinfeld months later. Tanya Harding stopped her long program at the Olympics in 1984 because she had a broken skate lace and like went and, you know, hoisted her skate up on the judges table and it was just clearly distraught. And I think a lot of people saw that as her causing more trouble on purpose and engineering this disaster. And it's just like, why is it not more believable to us that like she's just in the grip of a stronger emotion than she could handle? And this is just a real disaster. What if Tom Cruise like did go down a list to find an appropriate girlfriend? That's just called like matchmaking. I'm not even saying it's fake, but this idea that he was like, I, in fact, am looking for a new partner and I will like collate all his appropriate. Like, that's not so different than like online dating. It just like feels robotic and weird and especially did then. Right. What if he did just like pick a list of 20 young and up and coming actresses and like send an email to them? Like, yeah, that's really weird on the one hand. And then it's also like very mercenary and logical on another. It's like the same. Oh, I have a job to do. I'll do it kind of personality. I feel very sympathetic to that read because I feel like I'm two years into a pandemic wherever we are now I feel like I'm now whenever I hear about anyone who I feel like I could possibly be interested in romantically I'm like are they single are they single (laughs) yeah like maybe that's just Tom Cruise is doing that version of it you know I mean or he's doing whatever he's doing you know like who knows we're there's lots of stuff about Tom Cruise we never know but I would just say that it was like certainly out of this moment came the most uncharitable read of it I guess to me, the most uncharitable thing about it is that like he wasn't reading the room when absolutely he was reading the room. A hundred percent is that he wasn't reading all the other rooms his viral video would play in. Yeah. In the context, he's actually giving everybody there exactly what they wanted and they're thrilled about it. It also occurs to me that this is kind of a uniquely bad moment to go viral because it's the moment when we have the technology for video to travel around the world 
the way that we're now used to. But also, it's like a pain in the ass to wait for a two minute long video to load. I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos that are like two hours long, that are like Tanacon in seven chapters and just being exhaustively broken down by some college student in their bedroom. And you're like, yes, tell me, tell me the context. Like, I feel like technologically we didn't have the capacity for context yet. Totally. And not just technologically, like as I said, more like almost mentally. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, like some of those gestures are very broad and very weird. Yeah. How many times <laughs> you need to kneel and fist pump? <laughs> you know, he's doing it over and over. It's not like there isn't anything cringy happening. Did he eat an entire bag of chocolate covered coffee beans in the green room? <laughs> and Katie Holmes is in the green room and then they bring her out at the end. Uh, what? And everyone's like, ah, yeah, totally. Oh my God. I know. It's very, the whole thing. I would just say like the after effects of this are like incredible given what it is so Mm -hmm. you know I think people at the time were like this ruined his career and Avi afterwards has been like no of course it didn't ruin his career like he still is a very famous and big movie star but it absolutely did alter his career and change I think like how we think about him Mm -hmm. and Rich Juzwiak who uh, I mentioned before wrote this piece about it and he sort of mentioned like one of the things it did do was like totally squash the gay rumors because (laughs) Like the decision to like present yourself as not gay by instead presenting yourself as like super duper weird just seemed like so (laughs) odd to people or just like worked so well that everyone just went from being like, maybe you're gay to being like, oh, you're just a strange, strange person. Like that just became the operating thing about Tom Cruise. (laughs) Kind of a Pyrrhic victory. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And sort of in the weeks after, as he was promoting more of the world, he did this Today Show interview with Matt Lauer where he sort of really snaps at him about not knowing the history of psychiatry and like taking Brooke Shields to task and in those he seems like just like an asshole you know and it's all for Scientology so it's just like very gross and scary kind of yeah and Paramount cuts the War of the Worlds press tour short (sighs) and then War of the Worlds which costs a lot of money does go on to make money but perhaps not quite as much money as people thought it was going to make initially although it really did make quite a bit of money Mm -hmm. and sort of in August Paramount like ends their relationship with Tom Cruise that's been going on for 15 years Mm -hmm. sort of saying like you know he's become a pop culture punchline wow god stick it out stand by your man Paramount he actually totally like doesn't really make romances anymore Hmm. he stops doing the Jerry Maguire stuff which it just like becomes not a part of his thing and he really really starts to do action movies almost exclusively Hmm. I mean Amy Nicholson wrote this piece for LA Weekly that I mentioned and she's just sort of like we got like a gif and like a viral video and like we lost a movie star who actually was like really interested in doing interesting stuff for the first 20 years of his career and like just stopped and now like only does exactly the things that are safe because people kind of think he's a weirdo and he's not going to risk doing interview with a vampire or eyes wide shut or magnolia oh that's why we didn't get more magnolias yeah it's funny too because i feel like that we maybe conflated the Matt Lauer interview with the Oprah moment and kind of were like, I get to hate the Oprah moment because the Matt Lauer moment was actually hateable. And it's like, yes, okay. But I feel like Scientology is real weird and they seem pretty scary to me. And I think the idea of someone becoming really enmeshed in Scientology and then slamming their, I believe, former Endless Love co-star for writing a memoir about postpartum depression is like really terrible. But I also don't think Paramount was like, Tom Cruise, we're dropping you because you hindered the fight to destigmatize postpartum depression. 
probably like the most, the next most viral thing he did was that very intense sort of speech he gave at the Scientology. It was an inner Scientology vir- like video. Oh. He basically like reprivatized his life hmm. after this, you know, like there's, he does this sort of opening up and then he sort of shuts down. He's making a different kind of movie, but he sort of starts talking about I mean, he and Katie Holmes do get married and they do have a baby. I mean, another. Oh, I remember that baby. (laughs) Very big news. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, an extremely germane topic running alongside of this is like the fixation on the baby bump of like this moment. Octomom and like this weird obsession with fertility. Also, like totally driven by the tabloids. But like they do get married. Mm -hmm. They are together for a long time. They do get divorced. We don't like really know about his dating life anymore at all. Mm -hmm. And you can see how he got there. And like, then all we do know about is like freaky Scientology stuff. And that's sort of one of the reasons where you're like, it feels like Tom Cruise's whole personal life is like all about Scientology now. And it's like, like alarm, alarm bells, bad, no good, like very bad. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you look back at the Oprah thing, you're like, we did him a little dirty, but also like, it's too complicated what he Mm -hmm. became to like really want to apologize. He's a weird guy, but that was like, maybe the least weird thing he did that year yes (laughs) the least harmful like it's harmless yeah maybe that's important you can do something weird and tabloidy where you're calling into question the reality of postpartum depression or you can just be a very active physical guy who's being very exuberant and open and kind of feeling disarmed by the amount of love in the room for you and like those aren't the same thing that and then the Scientology thing where where he's sort of like with his peers, the fact that he made the same mistake both times, I connect that to the fact that people growing up today and myself, honestly, to some extent, the expectation you have to have now if you're putting yourself into the public sphere in any way is like the entire world could feel the need to comment on this for some reason. They probably won't, but they could. Especially if you're Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's almost like couldn't have happened before like we just didn't have like the technological capabilities to do it and then i just don't know that it would have happened after only because even though tom cruise is very very famous there is a par for the coarseness Mm. about the terms in which we understood what was happening would have been different which is like we would have understood it as a play for virality Mm. or we would have understood it like the scientology stuff is like kind of like him trolling Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have put himself out there in that way and i think we would have responded to it with more jadedness a little bit maybe still been interested and made fun of it but also just like this is another celebrity like kind of pathetically trying to get attention and it really didn't feel that way I mean it wasn't Mm -hmm. that right he wasn't trying to get attention in Mm -hmm. that way and it was just like uncharted territory and now it's very charted to me there's kind of a bittersweet lost worldness to it I feel like it's the way people maybe used to feel when they were like in my day we got ice from the ice man and they cut it out of lakes my equivalent <laughs> of this is like have you read celebrity profiles from like the 90s oh yeah it was before everything could go around on the internet so like there's this like famous premiere interviewer Jennifer Lopez is just like slagging on everybody like you can find like I, there's a Meryl Streep profile like or in like the 90s when she didn't get Evita where she just literally like shit talks Madonna, like just stuff that like just no one would ever do now because you would just, they would know, like it will just be all over the world and the internet for days and they'll be asked about it forever. And so you read these old profiles and you're like, ah, glory days were like people just like, it was only going to be here. So they were like willing to like do it, just like say something real, yeah, which is like a moment where people felt comfortable with a certain 
range of performative behaviors, yeah. honesty even, or maybe, you know, whatever. Now you just, everyone knows better unless they really want the attention. Yeah, there's like these layers of lesser levels of surveillance after the VCR, but before the internet. And then there's like before the VCR, yeah. when you could go on TV and do something weird and then people would be like, I think I remember that happening. <laughs> Did it happen? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and they couldn't play it for anybody and it would become like, oral folklore the way that you could remain in obscurity that feels like a thing that we're now missing the lack of expectation of privacy that anybody seems to have but then the fact that we have the ability to offer context feels like some kind of countervailing weight to that but it doesn't I don't know I don't think it evens out (laughs) (laughs) it's still so new yeah I know it's been like 20 years or 15 years since this happened or something like that and so we're like it's not new and people who are like thoughtful and cool don't want to be like school marmy about how bad technology is because like the history of people being really worked up about how bad technology is like it doesn't Mm -hmm. it's like oh the novel is gonna ruin everything you're like is it right maybe it did (laughs) but the things that we're doing like are still really new and have are uncharted and have like all these long-term consequences that are unfolding yeah i don't know maybe like we should be worried about the novel the whatever the equivalent is now you know and we'll we'll obviously like come to terms with it and learn how to deal with it hopefully or not you know but Mm -hmm. but it is happening we are still living in a world where people are continuously assessing how to behave in public private spaces that they think are more private than they actually are Mm. also in times of uncertainty it makes us feel or it even just feels necessary it doesn't even probably feel that great to be trying to suss out the actual motivations of everyone you see because god knows you know a lot of other people have lied to us recently but maybe now it's just that we're all tom cruise <laughs> we know now like there's been so much research about like doubting the veracity of eyewitness accounts right like we don't remember things correctly yeah. we like do not read things properly we're and like we just we cannot believe that yeah we think that like it's like if we study the text close enough the truth will be revealed and no i don't know who knows what's going on with tom cruise and there's no amount of studying the tom cruise footage that's gonna like really make us know you know yeah having access to all of this information we all think we can solve every puzzle every single time yeah literally tom cruise would have to tell you and that's never gonna happen we're never gonna know That's so emotional. I mean, I guess that's why I love Magnolia so much, because it's Tom Cruise playing a character who's like living in a world of self-deceit about his life and also his relationship with his father. And then at the end, we get to see him broken down enough to be honest. You know, he's at his dad's deathbed. And I think he says, don't you die, you fucking asshole. It's so good. I love that movie. Honesty is one of the things that we banish if we make the world this way. And I guess, you know, Maybe we can live without that from Tom Cruise, but like we need to be able to be unguarded to some extent in our lives, I feel like, or we're just going to all make a bunch of Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> this was really good. Thank you so much. I love this. I love getting to to do this. This okay. is great. <laughs> Katie once told, told, told Seventeen Magazine that her dream was to marry Tom Cruise. Aww. So, you know, I, I've been in the dream making business this year. Are you in the dream making business? I don't want to disappoint her. <laughs>